Welcome to the Inside Scoop Live podcast, where indie authors get personal about their books, their writing, and their passions. I'm your host, Sherry Hoyt. Join me for some lively conversations with debut indie authors and seasoned veterans alike. It's a great place to find your next amazing read or even get inspired. So sit back and enjoy the show and let me know what you think. Hey everyone, today I'm talking with Lee Barkman, author of the Swift Pad Trilogy. I gotta tell you, there's a lot of punch packed into this trilogy, which is at its core an alt history of the past decade, but there's murder and mystery, there's the boom of social media and politics and an unstable leader, just a great all-around read. And our Reader Views reviewer said, I want to quote her because I love this, the satire that is offered in this tale is brutally honest hysterical and unforgettable. But remember, this is not a dystopian world. This is a very real, bare-bones, trash-talking world that all of us have lived through and are still living through to this day. So, sounds pretty intriguing, and I can't wait to talk to Lee. But before we get started, let's get the inside scoop on Lee Barkman. Lee grew up in Barnegat, New Jersey, and had a Huck Finn childhood, surrounded by woods, streams, and meadows. In the 1950s, 1,200 people lived there. Later on, he studied economics and history at the University of Kansas, then moved to Eugene, Oregon, and met his wife, Mary. He did various jobs for a time, then the two of them packed it up and went to China, where Lee taught English. After two and a half years, they returned to the U.S., settled down, and had a family, and Lee spent the next 30 years in a career in the IT field, eventually retiring from IBM. During that time, he wrote intermittently, mostly on his first novel, Farewell the Dragon. Lee and his wife currently live outside Portland, Oregon, where they enjoy backpacking, biking, and playing with their granddaughter. For more information about Lee and his work, visit his website at BarkWords.com. Well, hi, Lee. Welcome to Inside Scoop Live. Hi, how are you? Great, great. I'm glad you joined us today. Uh, Why don't you tell our listeners... A little bit about the SwiftPad trilogy. Okay, well, it took about six years to write and complete. I started it around 2013-14, and I published it uh, in the fall of 2020, so it took a while to get done. I guess looking at it now, you know, from the kind of a high-level view, which I I guess I didn't when I was writing it, Mm. it's an old history of the last decade. Um, Basically, I had the same motif on all of them. And if you see the books, they all have the dark cover and kind of the lurid photographs uh, on them. And we started with this digging motif, which uh, I kind of stuck with. And so digging up new business, the Swift Pad Takeover was the first one. It's a serial killer thriller combined with a peek at the business of starting a social media application. And it's set in Portland, Oregon. And it's uh, kind of just basically was designed as a standalone thriller when I did it. The next book was Insurgency, which moved about five or six years ahead. And now this social media application that they started is a, a worldwide super success that made billions of dollars. Uh, lots of money has flown into Portland. Portland is different than it is now. It's you, you Imagine Portland as a city that has, you know, all the bells and whistles of a Silicon Valley um city and it's changed the characters and we look at how the characters have changed and um, politically now the nation united states has descended into kind of a a little bit of a fear and terror as uh, 
kind of an unstable person has taken over the presidency and there's been some major disasters, some of which sort of parallel what's going on now. Some of them are a little bit farther out there. Mm. Basically, because Portland is so wealthy, there's refugees from various places that been moved to Portland. And so the city mobilizes, the liberal city mobilizes to help the homeless people. And this basically goes against the plans of the man in the White House. And so um, I don't want to get into too much of the detail of it, but basically Portland is invaded and much of the novel is about urban warfare and its aftermath. The final novel, which is digging around the pandemic, the swift pad extinction, basically follows closely from the action of the previous novel. It takes off where the last one uh, left off. So you can almost read them as a one piece. Mm -hmm. Now there's a, a bizarre disease as a pandemic of a disease that's baffling science. It's different than the one we know about, but it's same in some ways. And uh, it's about the coalescing of a nationwide resistance to the what's becoming a dictatorship. And it's about the main character's search for his kidnapped colleague and a cure for the pandemic. So that's <laughs> kind of it. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds eerily familiar and I know you said it was alt history so and you cover a variety of topics what was it like combining them into a solid interconnected story and what inspired you to write this kind of story in the first place well you know the key thing was to stick with the characters I mean you know I started with a set of characters and I added some of course as I went along but the main characters stayed true so I guess the way I kept the storyline together and tried not to lose the thread, quote unquote, Mm. is just to follow the characters and see how they react. The first book, like I said, I didn't really know it was going to become a trilogy. I I was sort of a IT troubleshooter, uh, you know, a corporate IT troubleshooter before this. I I worked for a a, a large multinational company that you'd all recognize. Mm -hmm. And it basically, it came to, I reached that age and I was sort of forced into retirement, which Mm. was okay. But I still, I still feel like I was really at the top of my career. You know, I, I mm. was really, I felt like I was finally getting really good at what I did, and uh, I was a little angry. So it was the book was meant to be a satiric account of uh, the IT business at its highest level. Oh. You know, re- uh, revenge of the nerd <laughs> is what I sort of thought about it as. And but when I completed the first book, the idea of uh, the most recent presidency before this one was not on the horizon. It was 2014, and I don't know if anybody thought it would be possible to what we would experience between 2016 and 2020. So politics wasn't part of it. It was just a thriller. But as we moved into that 2016 period, you know, I became consumed like many people as, you know, what was going on. I just couldn't believe it. And to be a writer, I... I wasn't able to really write about anything except that. You know, I'd get up in the morning and watch the news and listen to the latest outrage, and it just uh, had me boiling. So I I had to write, and that's what really got me going. The insurgency, this urban warfare I talked about that happened in Portland, I wrote that. You can see it from the copyright dates. I wrote all that well before Trump sent the troops into Portland later so Mm -hmm. but to me it was a logical outcome i could see it coming a year before wow yeah you called it huh kind of (laughs) (laughs) it's funny how people normally not involved you know on an everyday level with politics really became consumed 
who could have predicted the last several years? Yeah. Now, you also have a colorful cast of characters. Who was your favorite character to write and, and why? Well, I guess the, the main character, the character that stays through the whole three of them that is, you know, starts and ends with him is uh, Kip Chubby Rehane. He's based on a late friend of mine. He, you know, he was a very charismatic, unconsciously brilliant and self-destructive person who uh, I really cared a lot about. And, mm. uh, you know, it doesn't really follow his thread completely. And, you know, but it's, it's sort of like, you know, if things had just been a little different, mm -hmm. how could he have been, you know? And so I, I kind of built that around him. And so he was fun to kind of follow. I had a few others that were bits and pieces of people I know and uh, who, you know, had various characteristics that I found amusing one way or another or, or fun. And uh, I hope, you know, anybody that reads it that sees themselves in it, I hope none of them are offended or concerned or whatever <laughs> that they I think that that's them because it's really not. It's, you know, when you write, you steal bits and pieces of things, but then you just go and it's, you don't follow, at least I don't, I mean, maybe some people do, but I don't try to follow the thread of what their life is. Okay. I just take a little snapshot of how I see them and then just put them into a whole different situation. Yeah. And I had, I had a lot of fun doing that. Yeah. So basically you let the characters dictate the story? Yeah, I really do. And the first book, Digging Up New Business to Swift Pad Takeover, I kind of mapped that out. That was a kind of an experiment to see if I could write, you know, write to spec, I guess is what mm. you'd say. You know, in other mm. words, just sort of like have a definite idea where it was going and what's going to happen and, and just fill in the, the rest of it. Right. The final two I wrote, you know, I didn't really jump ahead to, I, I get in the middle and all of a sudden I get some ideas for the end and I scribble some notes. But how I was going to get there, I had no idea. Yeah. I mean, I just get an idea and say, okay, this would be kind of cool if it ended up here, but how do I fill in the middle? And so um, it was an interesting process of discovery to see where that takes you. And that's, I think, the greatest part of writing is just discovering what kind of sick mind you have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. But you know what? I mean, that, those are th your creative juices flowing. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, that's why I like to write. It is exciting. It's exhausting. And getting ready to write, it's very similar. I used to be an athlete and, you know, getting ready to perform, to get ready to go into to an athletic competition. You know, you, you go through all kinds of conniptions in your head and you have to get yourself prepared. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, when it's over, you're sort of empty and exhausted, and it's similar with writing. Hmm. So do you have, like, a writing routine? As I go, it gets more and more. I mean, when you first start out, it's real slow, and it's like, you know, oh, I don't know. And, and then, you know, you have all these doubts about, oh, gosh, I don't think I can do this. I don't have any idea where I'm going, and it's just not working. And then when you sit there and you try to write, you read it, and it seems so facile and puerile and stupid and you know and you just say oh man i can't write i can't do any of this but eventually it starts you get a couple of pieces to go and then it starts to just snowball and you then it's sort of like you just go to bed and you can't wait to wake up to keep going i mean then you can maybe a, you know i can write for when i'm really going i can write for five or six hours straight i yeah. mean 
that's about it. But that's a lot, really. Yeah, that's a lot. So it's kind of like um, I, I would kind of liken it to your kind of runner's high that you always hear about, you know? Yeah, yeah, it yeah. is. It huh. really is. So what was one of the most surprising things you learned while creating your series? That's a pretty good question. I guess what surprised me was how violent it got. Mm. It's I don't like violence. And there was a lot of violence in this. And I was really surprised that it turned out that way. And I think the reason why is because, you know, I, I studied a lot of history. And whenever you study any kind of civil conflict or revolution, it always gets really, really ugly. And wars between different nations can just stop and people can say, all right, we're done. And then, mm. you know, just stop. But civil conflicts, they just fester and they, they go on and on. And, you know, and knowing this and having read a great deal of history, I was just surprised where things went. You know, I, I had to go that way. Yeah. Because, and, and I guess that's what it is. Is I mean, I, I really see this book as kind of a, a warning. There's a famous book called The Turner Drivers, which was kind of Timothy McVeigh, who did that horrible bombing in Oklahoma City mm -hmm. back in the 90s. That was kind of his handbook. And it, I'm saying this because I don't want this to be seen as an alternative to that, as, you know, like the liberal alternative, how the liberals can kind of fight back and, and recover their, their government. Because, I, you know, I guess, I guess the reason why I can say that is because I, you know, I've got so many other different threads going on that really take you in a different direction. I mean, it is... It is a satire of a society and it is sort of a extrapolation of, you know, what can happen technologically and pharmacologically based on what we've all experienced in our lives up to now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just taking that in a kind of a weird direction. That's really what it was about. And the civil conflict is really almost in some ways not secondary, but it's not the only thing that we're talking about it's, you know, and which might disappoint some readers because some readers might want to just basically get into the, the whole conflict aspect of it. And if that's what you're looking for, it, it might be a little bit disappointing. Mm. So I guess I was surprised at how that all played out because I, um, you know, I, like I said, I, I didn't really know right how, how it's gonna happen <laughs> right well and it sounds like something that you worked through as you were writing it's kind of hard to classify with all the different elements you have going on what genre do you consider your series to be well i guess i'd call it an old history you know philip k dick's masterpiece the man in the high castle is mm -hmm. is sort of a you know i don't know if you know but it's a, it's a novel set what if the Axis had won the war and the Japanese had occupied the West Coast, what would it be like for Americans living in that situation? So and it was taken right down into the personal experiences, you know, not really looking at the overview. You didn't really have a lot of um, high level explanations of, you know, the game of risk that might have gone differently, in, you know, in, in history. And it's also speculative fiction, and it's, it's similar to alt history, but slightly different in that it's more focused on maybe technological changes or, mm -hmm. or things that might have done differently. So it's a speculative fiction, alt history, and, you know, more of a social commentary. There's a little, obviously, there's some rip from the headlines type of stuff, too, that you sometimes see in fiction. Yeah, and you also put a satirical spin on everything as well. 
Yeah, I definitely do, particularly in the first book. But it, I think that thread runs all the way through all three of them. Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious, what kind of feedback have you received from readers? What I've seen, like if you look at, there's been a few um, reviews on Amazon, and there's been a couple of negative ones that, you know, just basically one of them said, uh, this is like uh, QAnon from the left. And, you know, like, and like, in other words, it was basically, you know, someone who looked at it and saw it as a, uh, you know, just a political pot boiler trying to, you know, Mm. ferment my own views on it. And, you know, I can see how someone can say that. I mean, if they're thinking about this as QAnon, well, then it is satire because, you know, A, this is fiction and QAnon is supposedly nonfiction. Right. Right. You know, and I, I, I say it many, many times. This is a you know, from my imagination, this is not a uh, truth. So it's definitely not QAnon. I've gotten a little of that, but I've gotten some people that just really liked it. And I, I want to hear why they like it, because I think it's kind of a, a sleigh ride for a reader in that I move from chapter to chapter to chapter. I just try to just basically drive the action and drive the story and, you know, not really give the reader too much of a chance to take a breath and yeah. And and see where it is. I don't know. I it's always a wonder, you know, what you see so many really and I'm talking about writers who are established and everybody acknowledges that they are great and and they've done great work and they write clunkers, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so you know ne- you never really know if you can really pull it off. But, yeah. It's funny what you mentioned earlier about it being fiction because I feel like so many people take fiction out of context these days. Oh, for instance, there's a new movie called The Underground Railroad out on Netflix, and we started watching it. it. Yeah, and there's an actual Underground Railroad. And the problem with that, my husband got really irritated with that because he's like, the problem with that is people are going to think there's there was actually an Underground Railroad, you know? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, I know, and you know, like it's also the Game of Thrones. I kind of like it and everything, but I am a kind of a history buff, and Sometimes I think, gosh, you know, there's there's so much great historical fiction that really is based on things that actually happened. But, but this is the one that really takes off and everybody watches and they watch the movies and, yeah. and believe, <laughs> you know, but being a, a fiction writer, I say, well, that's OK. But, it, you know, in the back of your mind, you're sort of saying, but gee whiz, <laughs> right. <laughs> you're, you're investing so much of your imagination and your emotion into something that's sort of like you know, what really happened, but isn't, you know, I I can get that. Yeah. Yeah. Now I want to take you back a few years to a time when you realized as a young boy that you had a superpower. Can you tell us about that? Well, you know, I like to read. My mom taught me and my two sisters to read young. By the time I got to kindergarten, I could read basic stuff. And so, and they bought me books. They bought me, um, uh, adventure series. I remember reading, you know, stories about Braveheart, Robert the Bruce, and um, mythological heroes, stories of the myths, everything like that. They got me Encyclopedia Britannica Junior, and uh, you know, I read that cover to cover. So I that's amazing. I, I guess. Well, uh, this is um, like in the fifties. Yeah. You know, when you know, there's like three television channels on. You know. Right. And that's it. And then you've got the tinny transistor radio, but that's the only media distraction. So, you know, it was a lot easier just to lay in bed at night and just peruse books. Mm-hmm. 
I feel real fortunate to be able to have done that. And it gives you, um, I don't know, a sense of story and of the power of the written word. So many people say, oh, I like cinema. And, you know, great cinema has surpassed reading. Who can read anymore? But to me, the greatest movies are the ones that you run in your head when you're reading. And mm-hmm. uh, and you have access to all of human history this way. So I, uh, you know, and I started writing when I was younger. I uh, I wrote little newspapers on index cards. I'd write, you know, this kind of exposés about fist fights, who won the fist fight between such and such or <laughs> who likes who or who's, you know, who's hanging around with who. And, and I'd write and I'd just copy them over and over. I'd maybe copy 10 or 12 of them and then I'd sell them around the neighborhood because people would read them, you know, and they'd oh, give wow. me a nickel or a dime for it. And, Entrepreneur, um, yeah. Yeah, and I, <laughs> I, I don't know. But the thing is, is I never really submitted myself to the discipline of writing until much later. I tried to. When I finished college, I basically had saved some money and was unemployed for a while. So I, I tried to write my first novel, and it was it was just terrible, you know. But it was the first piece, you know, my first run, and I and that's where I realized how hard it was. Yeah. But the love, you know, it didn't really. I still wanted to do it, and I kept trying. I think I've gotten better. Like I said, it's a hobby, and um, mm-hmm. it's, I think, relatively harmless. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's just a book, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I was wondering mm-hmm. if your early reading sparked your desire to write. So, yeah, I love that story. So, what do you like to read these days? Well, I'm still a history buff. I still read a lot of uh, history. I know quite a bit about third and fourth century Rome, um, mm-hmm. you know, just the whole fall of Rome and Alaric coming in and taking it and, you know, from Constantine through Alaric through the Visigothic um, invasions and and all the personalities. And we know so much. It's so interesting because, you know, that particular period, we have so many writers who have left descriptions of the personalities and of the events and everything. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you get to the Dark Ages and it's just like, almost nothing. You know, we have this period of about 500 years where it's it just sort of, we just have these vague little chronicles from monasteries and such. Yeah. So I like that. But I, my fiction, I do read a lot of fiction. I like Carl Hyacin. I, my sister lives in Florida and, and I love to um, read that and, you know, and whenever she starts talking about how she likes this, the weather and everything, I read passages from Carl Hyacin's the corruption and the, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Donald Westlake is a recent discovery of mine. He writes these really funny novels about con men and, you know, burglars that are just huh. without, you know, just kind of fall into, she's really funny. I, yeah. mean, I just really like his stuff. Yeah. I know John McClary pretty well. I've written quite a bit about him. He's made a huge impression on me. I've I like the noir writers, like uh, Dashiell Hammett and, you know, Raymond Chandler. I just wish he'd written more because everything he wrote was just so perfect. Eric Ambler is just, he writes these great stories about, you know, the the Mediterranean and the Balkans and spies and and his characters are usually fumbling idiots too. And that's that's the thing that's kind of interesting about it. You know, he writes the mistakes rather than, you know, the, the mystery is how, people screw up, you know, and how his characters sort of screw up. Yeah. I keep trying to discover people. Uh, 
Martin Cruz Smith is one of my favorites. I mean, he's just, and he's the guy that wrote Gorky Park and, he, mm. and Don Delilo. I kind of like him. He's good. And well, it sounds like you have pretty well-rounded reading tastes. Uh, is there one book in particular that has influenced your writing at all? I guess, you know, like if you say who's the, the one who really influenced me the most, I have to say it's Thomas Pynchon who, and Gravity's Rainbow because everybody I've ever seen, I've ever met has tried to read it and they say it's incomprehensible. It's, yeah. it's uh, sort of like Ulysses or something, but I got it. I mean, to me, I, the first time I read it, it just sort of just fired off all these lights and all these possibilities for being a writer because I do like to read history and I do like to basically incorporate historical things with fictional people and, and how it can, you know, sort of the backstage, you know, you've got the main stage of history mm-hmm. where everybody looks and you know about it and people all agree on what happens. But then there's the off stage, you know, when they just kind of, they leave the stage and we know that there's a lot of things that are going on behind the scenes that are not out there on the front page, you know, and, and that's the stuff I like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I haven't read it, but I've heard it's pretty extensive. Yeah, it's basically, I mean, the story of Gravity's Rainbow is, you know, you've got the V2 rockets, which are coming into uh, London. Basically, it's about developing this technology that hones in on this every time this guy has sex in London the next day a V2 rocket lands there and it's like how is this possible anyway it's it's bizarre but it it but it all makes internal sense yeah anyway huh. sorry well, I'll, no I'll, no I'll I... kind of piqued my curiosity now so. Yeah. Yeah. so what do you like to do when you're not reading and writing well exercise you know it's I'm really struggling uh to basically stay fit I not, mm. I'm doing I'm doing well I mean I I run a little bit my wife and I camp in the summer, you know, we don't like to go camping in the mosquitoes, but, um, right. cause you know, go up in the mountains here in the West coast and in the spring, it's kind of tough because the snow melts and the mosquitoes are all over, but by August, September, October, it's perfect. So we like to camp up there and oh. I travel now that the pandemic's over, I'm, I'm looking forward to planning another trip. Uh, my big one, I guess was spring of 2017. I flew to Saigon and then, took a train all the way across through Vietnam, through China, across Siberia, ended up in St. Petersburg, then continued on to, took ferries and wow. trains to see my cousins in Hamburg. Wow. So and it took, I took two months to do it. I spent time, I'd stop in little cities like Omps and Irkutsk. And of course, you know, I went back to Beijing and, and Xi'an and, yeah, a few other cities in China. So, and in Vietnam too, I discovered Vietnam. I'd never been there, and what a wonderful place that is. I've heard it's beautiful. Um, yeah. Oh, it's incredible, and the people like us for some reason. Huh. I mean, it's. <laughs> well, that's it's the way to do it. Place. Take a couple months, and yeah, just take your time and see everything. I love that. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, it wasn't too expensive either. I didn't do any package deals. I just I would plan my stay in whatever city I'm going to arrive in next on the city before then, you know, and mm-hmm. I'd buy my train tickets and I'd go on the internet and ding a hotel where I'm going and just, you know, see how it goes. How fun. Yeah. But, yeah. That's how I like to travel. And I, I'm hoping I'd like to see Italy. I've never really traveled in Italy. I'd like to spend some time there. Mm-hmm. That sounds nice too. I've never, I've never been anywhere outside the United States. Well, 
I've been to North America, I should say. I've been to Canada and Mexico, but that was back when you didn't need a passport, so I don't even know if that counts. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it does. Oh, Canada's, okay. Canada's, they're nice up there. It's like going to a foreign country. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So what's next for you? Are you writing another book? I haven't started anything yet, mm. but I, I'm thinking a lot about it. And one of the ideas I, I've been thinking a lot about it would be, you know, I had a, a real Huck Finn childhood. I grew up in South Jersey, born to get, there was like 1,200 people there. And it was really a slice of Americana, which I'm not sure exists anymore. Mm. And, you know, it was a small town where everybody knew everybody, you know, it was biracial. There was a, speaking of the Underground Railroad, Barnegat had a, a community, there was like 1,200 people there and probably about four or 500 people in the town were, were black people who had descended from people who took the Underground Railroad, the real Underground Railroad, which wow. wasn't a railroad, yeah. um, <laughs> north. It was a community that stayed there and it was, it was physically segregated and probably socially, but, you know, we, as kids, we all went to school together and played Little League together and, you know, yeah. and we ride our bikes to each other's house and it was different, you know. Yeah, you don't know that as kids. You don't know racism. We didn't. I mean, you know, there was, oh, there, there were just some kids whose daddies and mommies had, had trained them even at an early age. Mm. You don't hang out with people from another race, but uh, yeah, it was a different time. Anyway, I'd like to rediscover that and I'd like to make it into a mystery because there were all kinds of stories and mysteries, I guess, you know, missing yeah. people and things like that. that I remember from listening to adults talk and things that we would say, and I'd like to recreate that. Yeah. I'm thinking. And the other option, yeah, my other thing is, you know, I live in Wilsonville, Oregon here, and we recently had a contentious local elections here during the, uh, the 2020, the recent November elections that mm -hmm. uh, I was sort of involved in a little bit, mainly through Facebook groups that, you know, would fight it out over, you know, who we were supporting and right. why and all that stuff. And so, of course, then you go out and you see people and you know, and you know a lot of these people, even though, you know, they're, you're anonymous. And I've often said, you know, like kind of an Anthony Trollope sort of uh, novel of manners of the 21st century and how all that would play out and, you know, sort of disguise everything so yeah. nobody gets too offended. But, oh, wow. But I definitely want to get away from what I just did. I, I don't want to revisit any of the characters that I worked with or, you know, I don't want to write a fourth Swift Pad book or anything like that. Right. I'm done with that. So I want to move and try to stretch myself in a different direction. Yeah. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. Look forward to it. You've got several potential ideas and uh, enough to keep you busy. It may turn into more than a hobby. Who knows? Yeah. yeah well, who knows? <laughs> that's right. Well, Lee, thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing a little bit about you and your work. It's really been a pleasure. Thank you for this. You know, I mean, whenever you talk to somebody, it, it forces you to think about what it is. And I tried to do that here and it was, it's a fun talk. Thanks a lot. Thank you for joining me today for my interview with Lee Barkman, author of the Swift Pad Trilogy. For more information about Lee and his work, visit his website at barkwords.com. And be sure to check out our other interviews at InsideScoopLive.com. 